It is hard to believe that it is already the first Sunday of Advent. It is hard to believe that what started in March is still going on. It is hard to believe that everything is so different from what we're used to. It's hard to believe is a phrase I think I've said a lot this year. And the longer the pandemic lasts, the harder it is to believe. It's hard to believe. Do you feel that? Maybe, like me some days, you feel that phrase at a deeper level than just talking about the passage of time. It's hard to believe. And as we begin this season of Advent, a season of waiting and preparing again for the birth of Jesus, we might just need to pause for a minute and admit that sometimes it's hard to believe in Jesus, in God, in all this stuff. Part of the reason it's hard to believe is because, frankly, Many of us had a faith that was not prepared to process what we faced this year. It's not that you personally are shallow. That's not it at all. It's a combination of what you've been taught and what you've experienced in your life. Many of us grew up in churches, American, middle class, predominantly white churches, where the version of Christianity that we were taught did not actually prepare us to wrestle with hard questions, and to endure suffering. Which may have been okay for a while, because let's admit that many of us, myself included, have had a pretty good life overall. We haven't asked really hard questions because we haven't needed to. We haven't had to endure prolonged suffering or injustice. So it was no big deal that our faith wasn't prepared for it. But when something like the pandemic comes along and we all start asking hard questions about why things happen, about personal suffering, about global suffering, about freedom and responsibility, well, then we discover what we're made of. Suffering shows us what our faith is made of. Let me also say that I know some of you have had to wrestle deeply with your faith and endure suffering in your lifetime. And you're probably not feeling too shaken up by life this year. If that's you, I am really glad for you. And this morning, I invite you to just pull up a comfy seat and hold some space for the rest of us while we catch up. This Advent, as we talk about the great themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, I want us to dive a little deeper. Because if we're going to get through this pandemic being the people that we want to be, we are going to need a robust faith, a mature faith, a faith that can help us ask hard questions and endure suffering. Easy answers and just skimming the surface are not working for us anymore. Thankfully, Christianity has some deep waters, maybe deeper than you've been taught before. And I'll warn you now, not all of the answers that you want are going to be there. But in the deep end of Christianity, you will learn to swim strong and steady even when the waters are choppy. And you will learn to float, to wait, 
even when the answer you want just isn't coming. That is my prayer for all of us this Advent. We begin with hope. Advent always begins with hope. Advent always begins with the Old Testament prophets, the ones who taught both of our need to live in alignment with God's way and also of God's forgiveness when we fail to live in God's way. The prophets speak of God's promised future, and they invite us to hope. One of my favorite Christian writers, Jürgen Moltmann, defines hope this way. He says, hope is the expectation of a good future, awakened by God's promise and strengthened by trust in God. Strengthened by trust in God. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. For months now, I have been reminding you that the words in the Bible that we translate as believe or belief or faith can also be translated as trust. Relational trust. The way you trust your family and your friends. The kind of trust you can only have if you know someone. And so the question for us this morning is, Do we know God? Not what do we know about God, but do we know who God is? Because if we are uncertain about that, it is very hard to be certain about anything else. We are calling this Advent series, We Believe, Because in it, we are going to consider what it is that we really believe, what we think is true. And all of that begins with who we believe in, who we trust. Our main reading from this morning comes from the book of Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets. The book of Joel is in a group of books called the Minor Prophets, not because they're unimportant, but because they are all just way shorter than Isaiah Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Unlike all the other prophets, though, Joel does not include a time reference, nothing about who was king when Joel was prophesying or when the book was written or when the events it described happened. It tells the story of a time when the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, faced an impending crisis. Something big and bad was headed their way, and the dread of it was looming over them. The prophet urged them to repent, and spoiler alert, they did. They didn't escape the disaster, but God promised restoration. Sound familiar? This morning, we are only going to read a couple of verses from Joel, and then we're going to trace the idea that we find in these verses all the way through the Old Testament. It is an ancient belief statement that is going to help us wrestle with deciding who God is. So here we go. This is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Yet even now, it is a declaration of Yahweh. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and lamenting. Rend your heart and not your garments. And turn to Yahweh, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and relenting 
about the calamity due. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. So there may be a grain offering and a drink offering for Yahweh, your God. Notice, please, this description of God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and relents from punishing. This is not original material. If it sounds familiar to you, it's because you heard it two weeks ago in the book of Jonah. Let's look at that scripture again. When Jonah is telling God why he's angry, he says to God, For I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and full of loving kindness and relenting over calamity. But as I told you then, this isn't original to Jonah either. Both Joel and Jonah are quoting something that their listeners already knew. In fact, some scholars count this as the original belief statement of the ancient Hebrews. If they had a statement of faith, like our Apostles' Creed, if they had to answer the question, who is God, this is probably what they would say. And I think this is so important that I want you to see all of the places it shows up. We first find it in Exodus. After the golden calf disaster, Moses asks to know who God really is. And this is how the story says that God describes God's self. God appears to Moses. Here's Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Then Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but bringing the iniquity of the parents upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the fundamental statement about God. The first time something is mentioned in the Bible is always incredibly important. And here we have this first statement of belief. Compassionate comes from the same root word in Hebrew as womb. So that's the nurturing and protective nature of God. Gracious means stepping in to help those in physical or spiritual trouble. Loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, which is the word that we translate as mercy in the verse, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Loving kindness, mercy. And truth is sturdiness, certainty, reliability, and trustworthiness. In the Hebrew language, all of these are adjectives. They are descriptors of God. As God's self says, this is who God is gracious and compassionate, abundant in loving kindness and truth. The text continues, though, with the second part about forgiving and showing mercy, but not clearing the guilty and visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children. And I bet for most of you, this second part overshadows the first, doesn't it? You hear it louder in your head. And you do that because this is what you're afraid of. And we are biologically wired to respond more strongly to fear 
than to comfort. Be careful with that. It was a very useful response for humans when we were avoiding saber-toothed tigers. But we all know that focusing on the negative and ignoring the positive is a really unhealthy way to live. And it's unhealthy for your theology, too. I think we really can't know what that part means without more information, so let's keep reading. The next place this belief statement shows up is in the book of Numbers, which is basically Exodus part two. More journeying, more complaining, more of Moses asking God to be patient with the people. Here is Numbers chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. And Moses said to Yahweh, so please let Yahweh show his strength just as you have spoken, saying Yahweh is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Still, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Forgive now the guiltiness of this people in accordance with the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have pardoned these people from Egypt until now. And Yahweh replied, I do forgive as you asked. Almost exactly the same as Exodus 34, except this time it's Moses quoting God back to God, and it works. The important thing that I want you to see here is that whatever the phrase, not clearing the guilty but visiting the iniquity of the parents on the children, whatever that means, it does not mean that God doesn't forgive. God both somehow forgives and that thing happens. Here's one way to think about it. We know that there are unhealthy things that get handed down in families. One person's unhealthy choices can have ripple effects for several generations. Sometimes the effects fade in three or four generations as children make different choices when they have their own children. And so that is easy for us to see that even with God's forgiveness, our iniquities, which is what gets handed down according to the text, our iniquities can still have consequences for us and for our families and for our communities. So this may be one of the places in the Bible where it is just describing something that's already true in the world. It's not that God has to do anything. This is just reality. God can forgive and our iniquities can still have consequences for us and our families and our communities. This ancient belief statement continues to show up next in the Psalms. Let's look at three verses from there. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, my Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, full of loving kindness and truth. Exactly that same language. Psalm 145 verses 8 and 9. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Exactly the same language. Yahweh is good to all. God has compassion on all of God's creatures. And then finally, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not treated us according to our sins or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What I want you to see here is that there is no mention of God's punishment in these verses. If anything, the writers go out of their way to emphasize the forgiveness. The psalmists are communicating a different experience of God than their ancestors were. Last two verses. These both come from stories at different times in ancient Israel's history. One is before the exile and one is after the exile when some of the people have returned. But both times, these stories are about the nation gathering together for collective confession and repentance. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, this is just before the exile. King Hezekiah said to the people, For if you return to Yahweh, your brothers and your children will receive Yahweh before their captors. This is talking about if the exile happens. And will return to their land. For Yahweh your God is compassionate and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. And then Nehemiah chapter 17, this is after the exile. Some people have returned to Jerusalem and are beginning to rebuild the walls of the city and the temple. Nehemiah is telling the story, the people's history. And in verse 17, he says, But you are a God of forgiveness, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not abandon them, your people, even when they made a cast image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. He's hearkening back to that first story we heard. Altogether, this ancient belief statement shows up 10 times in the Old Testament, always exactly the same language, the same words, the same adjectives over and over and over And here's the point of reading all these scriptures. If we use the Bible as one of our sources of authority for understanding God, and many of us do, if we take the text seriously, this ancient statement of faith will help us. It will give us a starting place, helping us to know what to expect from God so we recognize it when it happens. So start here. Let this statement of faith that we see over and over again help you be certain about who God is. If you have any doubts, this is what you should put your faith in, about what kind of a being you are choosing to trust. God is compassionate and gracious. God is overflowing with loving kindness and truth. Make that your firm foundation. Start there. Choose to believe something bigger than what you might currently see. If you do that, your faith will be built on solid ground and all the other things will begin to fall into place. 
If you start here, if you make this your core belief, God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth, you will feel less afraid. I think that many of you feel like you're waiting for God to drop the other shoe. You are always waiting for that punishment part to show up. Always afraid that you've done something wrong. The Bible does not support that fear. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. You have to start there. Does God punish and discipline? Yes, maybe, sometimes. But that's not who God is. That's something that God does. That's something a loving parent has to do sometimes. And we can trust that because we know that that correction is grounded in compassion and grace and loving kindness and truth. When someone you love tells you hard truth, you trust them because you know they love you. Hopefully, children, when your parents have to give you correction, you know that it's not because they hate you, it's because they love you. And they're not doing it to hurt you. They're doing it to help you. God is a better parent than we are. Does God feel absent sometimes? Yes. Sometimes. But just because I can't see something doesn't mean it's not still there. Is the world a mess? Is there suffering? Yes. And who is responsible for that? Does a compassionate, gracious, kind, and truthful God cause awful things? Or are the consequences of our own iniquity being visited upon us and our communities? Plenty of bad stuff happens in the Old Testament. Plenty. And yet, throughout it, the people continue to affirm that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That is who God is. And God promises to be faithful even when God's people are unfaithful. No matter what happens, God does not abandon us. No matter what we do, no matter what is done to us, God is there. We may not escape the consequences of what we do. And we will all have to live with the consequences of the world being the way it is. But we are still Yahweh's people, and Yahweh is our God. Yahweh the compassionate. Yahweh the gracious. Yahweh the loving and kind. Yahweh the steadfast and true. That is who God is. So start there. It is the ground of all of the rest of our hope. Our hope begins in trusting God's character. Amen.